High schoolers do dumb things. High school directors also do dumb things. Sometimes it's the high school director that comes up with said dumb idea and convinces high school students to say, you know what, that sounds like a dumb idea. I will join you in that. I'll give you an example. At the end of the year summer bash, uh, I came up, with, came up with a brilliant idea that, you know what, it'd be funny if a couple students and I took spoonfuls of the hottest hot sauce I could find. And so we decided that, you know, ghost pepper hot sauce, it would be, you know, bad, but it'd be worth it. Well, how we responded was loud and clear that it was hot. We were drooling. We were crying. One of us decided to throw up on the stage. But it was clear and obvious how you would respond by the power of the ghost pepper hot sauce. You would be just like Cameron Richards, Ethan, and I, just choking away our lives. But it didn't stop a couple, a few, actually three other people decided, you know, I want to try it. And they took a spoonful and they had the same response. So now you have six clear and obvious responses to ghost pepper hot sauce. Now it would be foolish for us to think, you know, if I took a spoonful of ghost pepper hot sauce, it would be different for me. I would respond differently. I'm here to tell you no. And it lingers and it hurts your lips and your nose and your mouth. It would be foolish, more foolish for me to think if I took another spoonful of said ghost pepper hot sauce, that's going to be different this time. It would be really dumb because I know what it felt like and it's going to be the same. We do this sometimes with Christ. It's clear and obvious that he is God. And the, and the, and the, react, the response that we need to have is clear and obvious. But sometimes too many of us see the evidence and f- look foolish in rejecting it, as we would look foolish in taking a spoonful of ghost pepper hot sauce and saying it's going to be different for me. Sometimes we reject it intellectually, or we just reject it saying, no, I, I would rather have what I want in this world rather than following him with all I have. Mark is trying to make the case that it's clear and obvious the response that we need to have to the power of Christ. And as Christ in general, he's trying to make it obvious for us So what we need to do, we need to respond correctly to the kingship of Christ by submitting to his rule, admitting that his way is best, and joyfully living under his reign. And Mark is going to make a case for us in Mark chapter 5. So if you mind pulling up Mark chapter 5, you're going to start in verse 1. Mark's going to provide three different responses that people or persons have towards the power of Jesus. So in order for us to find out, let let us look at the first response in Mark chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I want this in the back of your mind. Remember, this comes, and this is unique, where it comes at the tail end, right after Jesus calms the storm. Pastor Rod preached on this last week. Jesus, with the word, he says, be still. And this, this raging storm stops, and it's still by his word. And the disciples right now are in fear. So as you're about to read the story, think about what the disciples are thinking and how fearful they are about God right now, Jesus. But if you go back further, Pastor Rod preached a couple weekends ago about the parable of the soils. Jesus just preached on that and a few other parables right before they got in the boat and they're about to uh, come here in the region where they're going. So think at the back of your mind. You had the parable of the soils, a few more parables, Jesus calming the storm, the disciples afraid, and now we start in verse 1. 
It says, they, so Jesus and the, and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And he, this this demon-possessed man, and he saw Jesus from afar. He ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, for Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hill, on, feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. Don't be too familiar with this passage. This is really bizarre. One, we have, like, I mean, how big is a pig? But this big, we have 2,000 pigs committing pig suicide. We have a demon-possessed man that we, we, we really don't see demon possessions today. We're not really familiar. The, the closest that we can get to is a Hollywood depiction in which yeah, you have demon clowns and dolls and children and other things that are strong and supernatural and whatnot. But we know, oh, this is a Hollywood film. This is, no matter if it says based on true events, it's, no, this is fake, this is Hollywood. But maybe the other closest reality you have to maybe a possession is uh, if you ever were, you know, volunteered in a drug rehab center where you people see people having withdrawals from their abuse with drugs or people high on drugs. And there's actually drugs out there that make people like almost superhuman strong. This is really bizarre, but this really happened. This is a demon possession. This isn't a man high on drugs. This is not a Hollywood production. This is a real event, even though it is bizarre and People will scoff at us thinking, like, you believe in demon possessions. But we, if we look at the logic behind it, we can conclude that this was a real event. And a way to do that, we see that there were witnesses of this man. Many people, Mark took account of many people trying to ch- subdue this man but couldn't. They tried to wrap him in chains but couldn't. So there's these witnesses knowing about this man. And later in the, in the, in the, the passage, we'll see how many other people saw this man and were like, whoa, he's changed. And so we have these eyewitnesses. We have these herdsmen, we'll learn in verse 14, that see, they're witnessing the events most likely right there. And all of a sudden, the herd of pigs just start running off. But those pigs are actually a key to figure out this is more than just a man that Jesus healed that was high on drugs. No, this was a demon possession because the man cried out, can you put us in the pigs instead? And Jesus said, okay. And all of a sudden, the man was instantly healed and instantly 
the pigs all of a sudden do some crazy things that the herd who have been intimate with these pigs, you know, that have you know, been shepherding these pigs for a while, would have known this is bizarre. All 2,000 of them just committed suicide. This is weird. A man's just been healed in the pigs, so now we can conclude, all right, logically, this is most likely demon possession. But What's kind of the point of all that? The point mainly is that he, this demon-possessed man that Mark is trying to emphasize in verses two through five, is that he's a terror to himself and to other people. His possession, he's just an absolute terror to everyone. And that's Satan's goal. His goal is to just try to destroy God and his image. And he can do whatever it takes to destroy God and us. We're enslaved. This is the image of us. It's how we're enslaved to sin. We're, we're, we're a terror to other people when we sin against one another. We're a terror to ourselves when we sin against one another. And, but if you look at 7 and 8, something, this is very bizarre, not bizarre, but this is something I didn't notice before. In verse 7, he, it says, The demon's crying with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Because this is, for he was saying to him. So if you look at it, verse 8 technically happens after, it happens before verse 7. So Jesus is saying, come out of this man, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And the demon is saying, no, I adjure you by the father, don't do it. Think about it. The demon, don't be too familiar. The demon is resisting Jesus. We're used to seeing Jesus saying, be still and the storm is calm. He, he, he calmed creation. He controls creation. Now, this demon is a creation of God, but he's resisting, just like he resisted before when Lucifer and the third of the angels wanted to take God off the throne and then were cast out of heaven. They resisted then, and they're resisting now. But as you see in verse 7 through 9, that he still begged for mercy. He begged, and eventually he gave in, just like all of us. No, no matter how hard we resist God, how hard we try to sin, our knees will bow. Every one of us in this room not, and all of us in the world will eventually bow our knees to Jesus, either with a painful submission that we see right here. This is the first response that the demon had a painful submission to Christ's authority, or we can submit joyfully to Christ as our king. That's your first point. Submit joyfully to Christ as your king. My favorite, one of my favorite teachers of all time was my senior year of high school in my English class, Mr. Butera. He taught IB English. And he was a teacher I actually loved submitting to because one, he's a teacher that cared for us. He was brilliant. He was probably one of the smartest men I know but he cared for us. He was trying to help us grow in our knowledge of literature and English. And so he actually took an entire book that he knew that would be too hard for us on our own and said, I'm going to sacrifice my time and effort to stand up here in class for the next several weeks and read to you word for word a book, just like my mom did when she would read to me as a kid. This guy cared enough so much that he took weeks. He could let us you know, do it on our own and just tell us the answers, but you know, he wanted to walk through this book so that we can see the brilliance of this author. So I was joyful to submit to him, even though his tests were hard. His final is probably still the hardest final to this day I've ever had. But I did it with joy because I knew he was trying to push me and care for me. 
We have to do that more with Christ. We submit by surrendering control over our lives, just denying ourselves. And denying yourself is more than just me saying, you know, I need to lose weight. I need to not deny that donut after church on the patio, in which I didn't do. I gladly ate that donut. But it's denying control of our lives. It's denying our plans that we may have in every aspect. Maybe denying the plans that you may have for your life. Maybe that person you want to date, that boyfriend, that girlfriend that you really want to have. But you know that, you know, I need to submit this to the Lord and see, like, is this the person I should be dating right now? Am I in the right spot to date? Or is this person even following Christ? Or it's, what, what college do I strive for? Do I strive after CBI? Do I stri- strive after um, Boyce College? Or do I strive after ASU, Harvard, Oxford? It's submitting those plans now to God saying, God, where do you want me to go? Or maybe it's what job you get. Maybe you have opportunity to, maybe I should be working for facilities. Maybe I should be working at Starbucks. Maybe I should be working at another coffee shop. And maybe, maybe you need to say, you know what, God, what do you want me to do? I need to deny myself the desire that I do need to make money. But saying, God, what, what ultimately do you want me to do? Doing work is good. But making sure that we ask God first. But it's also submitting our plans for fun. Homecoming's coming up this week. It's like, all right, should I make the decision to go? Do I have enough people or friends to go with so that I'm making sure I'm being held accountable of how I act on the dance floor? Or maybe it's, you know, I'm going to homecoming, but maybe that party bus, I shouldn't go. I need to submit my plan to God. And you know what? I'd rather drive myself. Or maybe it's that trip you want to plan with your friends. You know, and maybe this is not the wisest decision to go camping with this group of people because you know what? They might lead me away from the Lord or rather to him. Or maybe it's the plans of the movies you want to see and saying, you know what, I really want to see the, the latest and coolest movie. But maybe is this really glorifying God? Is this helping me in my walk with Christ? It's denying ourselves and following his plan. But also to submit to Christ is being willing to endure the pain of following Christ. Obeying him when it's going to hurt. Maybe taking a hit on the grade for not doing an assignment that you know that would not be good. Do your homework for the most part. Talk to your leaders and pastors before you say, I can't do this homework assignment, okay? I don't want you to all of a sudden, True North, not doing their homework. Maybe it's taking, maybe losing playing time or maybe losing the lead role for the play because you can't make the time commitment because you want to be able to serve and be a part of your small groups. Maybe it's taking a hit on your college resume because you, don't, you can't do that fourth or fifth sport anymore. You can't add those many AP classes because you're, you're pushing yourself too beyond the limit where you're neglecting your time in reading and prayer and in fellowship. It's willing to take the hit to follow Christ. But again, but we do it joyfully. We do it joyfully because, again, we lead ourselves to death. He leads us to life. This man this is a picture of us, this demon-possessed man. Again, he is demon possessed, but again, we're, we're possessed by our sin. We can't stop, but we can't but help it but sin. He's hurt, harming others and he's harming himself just as we harm others. If we're, if we're looking at pornography, we're not only hurt, harming ourselves and our, our future spouse, but we're harming people who are being kidnapped in the uh, sex trafficking business because we have this desire that we just can't let go of. Or maybe we can't help but gossip and slander or maybe make a mean comment to someone, maybe on social media or behind their backs that they might overhear. 
You, we might feel good. But what happens if the person overhears and they're wounded by it and maybe they don't have God to turn to? There's a trend, unfortunately, with not just your generation, all these generations, that without God, they're turning to, towards taking their lives. We're, everything that we do leads to death eventually. Just like this man, we're just going to be like him. But with Christ, we could be set free. He became the porn addict. He became the gospel, the slanderer, the drunkard, the murderer, on our behalf, on the cross. So take our place so that we no longer have to walk that way, but instead trusting in him, rejecting our sin, trusting him on the cross and saying, I will follow you and trust in your death as my payment. And his, the Holy Spirit would then indwell in us to then do the right thing because we need God's help in order to do good because that's why we were created. We were created to do good. We were created to love God. We were created to love others, but on our own, we fail. But with Christ, we can prevail. Totally rhymed by accident. But that is the first response that we have that is given to us by Mark. It's a rebellious submission. So instead, let's joyfully submit. But let's look at the second response. Go back to Mark chapter 5, verse 14. Let's see what Mark has to say about the second response. Now that the, the, the Gentiles of the region, this is the Gentile region, region how do we know that? Pigs. Pigs, the Jewish people consider them unclean, so I highly doubt that a bunch of Jewish people are going to be, have a herd of about 2,000, so we can conclude that this is a Gentile people. So let's see their reaction in verse 14. So the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. This is a heartbreaking response. It's a response of repulsion by the people. When Mark mentions the pigs in verse 16, the second half of verse 16, he's trying to emphasize the point that the people cared more about their lost property. Now, we think of pigs, we think of bacon, we think of meat, we think of men's retreat. Wow, I did it again. But we, we, you have to picture this is their livelihood. This is what they, you know, they own. If a mirror was possessed by a demon, and the only way that he can be set free is that Jesus says, you know what, fine, I'll cast the demon in all of your cell phones and all of our iPhones, and all of a sudden they get possessed and fly against that wall and start thudding over and over. Wouldn't we be kind of upset? We just lost, this is a thousand dollar phone. Who cares about him here? His name's come here. But we do care about a mirror, and it is worth to lose the cell phone. But Mark's point is that he's showing that they're too, too concerned for the pigs and not what just happened. Their fear led to repulsion because they're probably fearful that they're going to lose more property. They thought, okay, if this dude, because they didn't know Jesus' name, they said, this dude just cast out this demon and we just lost 2,000 pigs, what else is he going to do? I know some people that need help, but what am I going to lose now? How fearful are we to lose stuff? These are the people, these are like the third soil people 
They're going to be choked out by the things of the world just like us. We're afraid to lose money. We're afraid to lose our car. Afraid to lose our driver's license. Afraid to lose the college that we want to go to. But we're not as concerned as Jesus is concerned of the person that he just set free. Jesus' priority is to see people saved. And our priorities, if we really think about it, our priorities are so petty and trivial and minor and small. And I am so guilty of this. So what we need to do is to, we need to admit our priorities fall short of Christ's. That's your second point. Admit your, our priorities fall short of Christ's. A couple of our small group leaders, Mark and Julie Hogan, just had their little baby girl, Edith. I was really jealous. Pastor Rod and Chris got to go visit them in the hospital, got to see little baby Edith, and I got to see the pictures. And to see Julie and Mark, Mark's faces of joy holding their baby girl made me think of maybe what happens if Mark was so frantic to drive to the hospital because his, well, uh, his wife is in labor, but he actually double parked in the hospital and rushed to the hospital room. In the, in, the t- in the meanwhile, his wife gives birth and they're holding the baby girl and now his car is being towed. If you have your car being towed, it's not fun. It's at least a few hundred dollars, if not more, to get your car back from, um, the, I guess I want to say the pound, but you know what I mean. <laughs> to get your car back, it costs a lot of money. But I bet if that happened to Mark, that he would say, no, it was worth to see my wife give birth to our baby girl and pay a few hundred bucks to get my car back because it was worth to be there in the moment holding his now child. And I really hope that didn't happen to him getting his car towed. I really feel bad because I just made that scenario up. But see the point is that Jesus' priority right there is that he's kneeling down with a man who he just set free, but the people are so focused on their, their property but in order to admit our priorities fall short, we need to actually know what our priorities are. If I, if Pastor Ron or your leaders or myself asked, what are your priorities? Many of you would say, oh, Bible reading, prayer, evangelism, serving at church. But if we look at, a, 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 at the movie of your life and see what actually you spend the most time on, that is you, me. I mean, I'm gonna throw myself in this pool. If what, we looked at the li- uh, movies of our lives, what would we see? If we say we want to pray but never do it, but instead we, we instead do homework instead and skip praying, do we actually have prayer as a priority? If Bible reading is a priority, but we're so frantic that we, we keep sleeping in and we were always late to school, is Bible reading really your priority? If small groups, you say fellowship is a priority, but we never see you week in and week out at your small group, is small group really your priority? And if evangelism is your priority and we're going to the campuses and you're not there participating with the True North clubs, is evangelism really your priority? What we spend our time and efforts thinking about and energy on is our priority. Now, sports, you know, football for me, social media, school, friends, sleep, money, those are all neutral things. Those aren't necessarily bad. But how are we doing them? How are we doing school? Is it to glorify God or just to build up a college resume? Is doing the sport, are we doing the sport or this play or this musical talent for the glory of God? Or are we trying to again build up our college resume and look good in front of others? Are we using social media? You can post stuff about your stuff. I like to post stuff about my wife all the time. 
but am I using social media as a platform to be, at least share the gospel to people or is it just to promote myself or other things? What is our motives and what is our priorities? Because what is God's priority? 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What this means is that he wants people saved. He wants people saved to be spirit-filled and sanctified or set apart, to be made holy. That's his goal. Now, wanting a good and right spouse, that's a good thing. To go to the right college, that's a good thing. To go to a good college, that's a good thing. But look how, how short-term we're thinking. We're thinking maybe, okay, maybe for the rest of our lives, and to us it's a long time, but for God, he's thinking eternal. He's like, I want this person to be freed from their sin and bondage so that they can be free eternally with me. We all fall short of our priorities. But thank God we have a God who thinks so much bigger than we do. So how do we embrace this? We need to not just admit it, but embrace it. But how do we embrace it? It starts again by admitting. Admitting that we can't do any good without him. This man is, again, uh, he's a demon-possessed man earlier. Now he's set free. Notice that he did nothing to save himself. Christ alone set him free. We can't do anything good without him. Now we might challenge, well, I donate money to some charities. I do volunteer at stuff. And then I would say, okay, what are your motives of doing all that stuff? You know, building wells is a good, noble thing and it's helpful, but what's your purpose? Is it, again, I mean, I, I did it. I did it to build on my college resume. I did it to look good. I did it to make, you know, try to like get attention for myself. And is that the reason why we do good things? We were supposed to do good things to the glory of God and to serve others. So we need to admit we can't do anything good without God. So we need to pray. We need to be dependent on praying to God to give us new desires. But also, it's, it's, it's a joint relationship. We need to pray for these new desires and we need to read his word to know what are his desires. Are we praying? Are we reading? Are we asking God, what are your desires and help me to have those? But then it has to lead to trusting in God Trusting in God that he's going to follow through with his actions, and that should lead us to action. We need to act it out, to act out what we see in God's word. But along the entire way, we need to be thanking God. Because at the first point, we can't do anything good without him. And if we're even doing good, we need to be thanking God constantly. We need to be the ministry that is the most thankful ministry in the world because we're so thankful because God set us free. Just as he has set the man free from his possession, he has set us free on the cross. So as these people, these Gentile people, had a response of repulsion, the demon had a, re- a response of rebellious submission. It doesn't seem like it's very hopeful. But Mark gives us a little hope in verse 18 of Mark 5 of how we should respond to the power of Christ. In verse 13, it says, when he, so Jesus, as Jesus was getting into the boat because the people are asking him to leave the region, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But he, Jesus, but Jesus did not permit him and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. 
Now, the Decapolis, to give you a little background, this is 10 cities in the region nearby. So he, imagine he's going all over South Orange County and sharing what, he, what Jesus just done. But again, verse 18, this guy's begging again. Again, think about it. This is the same body begging to Jesus. One was possessed by a demon begging. Now this is a man free from a demon now begging. But what's the difference? He's a new person. He's a new creation. He has new desires. His desire is no longer to harm himself and harm others. His desire is probably one of those godly desires that we can never think of. He wanted to be with Jesus. And that's the mark of a true believer that we have these new desires in us. A new desire to be with him. A new desire to do, do good. But Jesus does something kind of bizarre. Again, don't be familiar. Don't overlook this. This is, this is the... the the plot twist right here. You think, okay, this man wants to be with Jesus, but what does Jesus do? Verse 19, he didn't permit him. He said, no, that's really weird. I was looking up, this is weird. Why would Jesus not want this man who just been free? Like, hey, I want everything in my world. I want to be with you. Can I? He says, no, I have a different mission for you. I want you to go back to your family who you've been estranged to, that doesn't know you anymore, just knows you as a possessed person, but you've been set free. Now go back and tell them. Go to your family and friends and tell them. Just as we maybe have some family that we need to tell, maybe some friends that we need to tell, that we, some of you got saved at Revival. Many of you got saved before Revival. Maybe some of you in this room need to be saved today. To be saved and now to go back to your schools and tell what God has done for you and the mercy has shown on you. And so the man responded, not with rebellious submission or repulsion. The guy responded with obedience. He uses newfound freedom to obey. And he shared his testimony and people marveled. If you guys, if all of us, if all of us shared our testimony of how we were saved by God and his mercy, people would marvel at it. Now, this doesn't mean it'll be a, a good marvel or a good, people would be in awe, or it could be bad. People might go, wow, you've changed. You're a new person. You're, you're no longer doing the dumb things you're doing. You're doing good. This is amazing. How did you do it? Well, let me tell you. Or maybe people going, wow, you've changed for the worse. Now you're not with the culture. Now you're not with us wow, you really do believe in God and these demon possessions? Okay. But then you can say, well, let me share with you what happened and the mercy that God has shared with me. So Mark right here is showing us that the man is rightly responding. He's giving us, giving us an example to follow because this man understood one thing and this is where Mark is making it really loud and obvious. In end of verse 20, I should go to verse 19. It says, go home to your friends and tell how much the Lord had done it for you. No, what is Mark going to try to make it obvious in the end of verse 20? The man did it and said how much Jesus had did for, done for him. The man understood the obvious and clear thing, that the, the disciples didn't get yet, and, the, and then these Gentiles did not get it all. The guy understood Jesus is God, and I needed to obey him. So what we need to do, True North, we need to exercise our freedom by obeying Christ exercise our freedom by obeying Christ. And I'm, I haven't I lived this out. I, I, I intimately know what this means. And I say this, please don't look at me as like, oh, I'm a righteous man, did the right thing. No, it's all by God I did this. When I was in college, I got saved and I was trying to go pro. I was trying to play in the NFL. 
And the thing is, people kept saying I was going to make it. I had my head coach, the assistant coaches, the press was interviewing me. I had NFL scouts, the Raiders. That's probably not cool to say now because they're not good. But the Rams, they're really good now. The Chargers, the Dolphins, they're not good too. But these NFL teams kept calling me. They were good then. They kept calling me and saying, we're going to invite you to camp. And so my reason of going to the NFL as a new Christian was, again, this is my reason, please Believe me, I wanted to use my platform to share the gospel. I wanted to evangelize to NFL players and coaches about Jesus. I wanted to see people saved. I wanted to be the, the representation to use my platform for good. So as people were trying to flatter me and tell me, oh, you're going to make it, I was meeting with my college pastors, the associate pastors at my church, and asking, how do I do this? I know the temptations are going to be a lot worse than they were at college. How do I fight them? How do I get ready to fight them? How do I evangelize? How can I be a, a witness to these people to play the sport for the glory of God, not for myself, but for God's glory, not my own? That was my mentality. That was a good, a godly mentality, right? That's what the guy wanted. This, this man wanted to be with Jesus. I wanted to glorify Jesus. But what did God do when the draft came and I was supposed to get picked or in the free agency and I was supposed to get picked? God said, no. Was I hurt? Yes, it was hard. But in that moment, I said, help me to trust you, God. I didn't know what it was. I kept praying about it, but I knew God's word and said, he said that he would, if I, as long as I seek first the kingdom of God, he'll provide everything that I need. And I trusted in that. Not just for that one moment, for three years, as I was trying to go into the NFL year after year after year, people being more surprised that I wasn't making it. But thankfully, by God's grace, I was obedient to say, you know what, God, you're saying no to me right now. You're saying no, but wait. And it was actually a flat out no. But now I realize he said, no, I want you to volunteer with True North. And after a few years of volunteering, you know what? The Fellowship of Christian Athletes are gonna come out and say, hey, do you wanna work for us? So you know, I worked for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And after three years, Compass comes up and say, would you wanna be our next high school director? I understand God said no, because I have a different plan. I want you to go back home, serve here, and now evangelize to these high schoolers and disciple them before they head off to college. God is way more wise than I am. But in the moments, I had to pray a lot. And I didn't know, I had to trust God in his uncertainties, as this guy probably didn't know what was going to happen. So why should we exercise our freedom? It's because we've been set free to do the right thing. We're not set free to, to continue in sin. Like, okay, here's a second chance. It's like you're playing a video game and you die and you respond just to do the same thing over and over until you somehow beat the level. You've been brought back to life to follow the rules like, that God has set for us so that he said, I know how you're supposed to live. Follow me. We're supposed to use our freedom, not for opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another. We tried it on our own. We led ourselves to death. We need Christ as our king and for us to obey that king. And this kind of gives us a freedom to almost make mistakes. And hear me out on that. What I mean by that is if you are trying to do something for the glory of God, you've been praying for it, trying to do this and say, no, I think this is the decision that God wants me to do for his glory and you do it. If it's a quote unquote mistake, God's gonna redirect you and guess what? You're going to learn through the process. So it gives, us, it gives us freedom to make decisions and not be frozen. And that's joyful. I'm joyful for that. So let's exercise our freedom by obeying. Obeying 
obeying the commands that Christ gives us, even though it's not what we want to do initially. Like me with football, I had to obey Christ, come home and serve. And I found out, okay, this is his plan. Maybe you want to play sports or be on Broadway. Maybe you want to be making movies in Hollywood. Maybe you want to go to Bible college. Maybe you just want to go to college or a different college, excuse me. Maybe you want to be in a certain small group. Maybe you want to drive. Maybe you want to lead more on your campus, but God is saying, no, wait. Or maybe he's just saying, no. We have to obey what God is telling us because he is our king. He is in control. He knows us best and we need to trust him by obeying. And the last way we can obey is that we can fulfill the great commission that the guy, that Jesus gives this man. This is the first missionary to the Gentiles. It wasn't Paul, it was this guy. Jesus sent him first to go reach this Gentile region. He did so by proclaiming. So we need to do, we need to go out and proclaim. It was wonderful to see 75 of you, plus a couple more now, have professed faith in Christ. And many more have professed faith before revival. So there's lots of saved people in this room. And for those who are not saved, you need to repent today. Just do it today. Reject your sin and follow Christ. But for those who are, we are regenerated in Christ. We need to go back. Maybe we need to go back to our families and to evangelize to them, to reach them. Maybe we need to go out to our friends now at our school. For those who just got saved at revival, who just got saved, have you told your friends at school what has happened? Do it. You don't know what could happen. They could reject you, and that's painful, but that's what we, that's the cost of following Christ. Or maybe they'll follow you in this room and they too may be saved. Maybe it's proclaiming on your campus. Maybe it's going to STM Utah. Maybe it's going to STM Guatemala and trying to reach the world by proclaiming what God has done and the mercy has shown for us. But we're also called to disciple and hold each other accountable. Sacrificing our time, our energy, and our sleep to make sure that we're growing to make sure we're not sinning, maybe sacrificing that sleep that you, like, I got done with homework and it's late, but my friend texted me, he's struggling or he, she's struggling to sin. I need to call them to make sure, you know what? They're, them not sin, sinning is a bigger priority than me sleeping for this you know, next 15, 20, or an hour. It's going out and taking, you know what? I can go, I, I get off campus for, you know, at lunch. Maybe it's saying staying at lunch for another 30 minutes and reaching your campus to see other people saved, or grabbing lunch with someone in your class who has questions or should be asking questions. But also we need to gather together in small groups, our weekend services, our summer camps, our winter camps, so that we're gathering together to build one another up, to bring people in here to hear the gospel proclaimed so that they too can be saved. But it's also gathered together on your campus. There's now 10 different opportunities, 10 different clubs now on the campuses. And I'm coming to the campuses with you. I'm here to fight with you. I know who's showing up and I know who's not. Let's all be obedient and exercise our freedom to proclaim the gospel, to see other people saved just like this man, because this is the proper response. It's the obvious response. Like it was painfully obvious that the response of taking a spoonful of ghost pepper sauce was going to burn my face off. The obvious response is to correctly follow the kingship of Christ 
to respond to the kingship of Christ by submitting to him as our king, not with resistance like the demon, but with joy. We need to respond correctly by admitting that we fall short, that our priorities are lame, and embracing his priorities instead and adapting them in all aspects of our lives. But we also need to respond correctly by exercising and living out our newfound freedom by being obedient to Christ and the things that he asks us to do, not asks, commands us to do. So True North, let's start today. What do you need to do today to respond correctly to the kingship of Christ? Do you need to be saved? Or do you need to be obedient to something that you don't want to be obedient to? Do you want something and God's saying, no, not yet. They say, no, fine, I'll accept that and I'll be obedient with a joyful heart. What is it gonna be? Start today, True North. Please bow your head with me.